whole life trying to find spaces where I could be bookish. So to be, you know, with another bookish brother, uh -huh. Uh -huh. let's stretch it out. <laughs> I appreciate it. Definitely. Appreciate this isn't Star. You're not going to get kicked out. All right, perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, let me just I have, I have a chord going. All right, I'm just gonna shout out an introduction and then we can just kind of get started. And I know some of your story already just based on reading, reading your books. Um, I heard you at NCTE. Just like, I'm that guy, like I'll go online, I'll look at YouTube stuff, I'll read articles. So I know, I'll probably ask questions that I already know that you yeah. probably don't know that I know, but um, I'll dig a little bit and then again, we'll just see where the conversation takes us. Does that sound okay? Yeah, I was listening to your super dope yeah. podcast with Minlay. Oh, and I heard you said that you guys hooked up at NCTE. My question was, where was I? Where was I at? And it's the thing, like, it's funny because I saw I saw you speak um, and then I can't even remember what happened. Like, I we did two, me and my wife did two key presentations. So we flew in from the Philippines, like, Thursday. And it was a whirlwind. Like, I think we got there. We ended up sleeping okay on the plane. We didn't sleep Friday morning at all we just like literally changed it to, went to the conference and it was just like bang 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 and I think when I think I saw you briefly after but we didn't have any time to talk I think you were kind of talking a little bit and then you just like you were off somewhere else <laughs> it, it was the paparazzi right they, they snatched me up there's millions it. of fans waiting for me <laughs> <laughs> dude as you were talking about you know your travel ordeal with your wife I can hear in my head Tribe Called Quest song, we're on a world tour with Muhammad and my man. I was like, don't, don't, don't. That could easily be one of your background sounds. Seriously, seriously. And it was one of those things where like we hadn't been to NCT before. So um, when we got invited to come and present together with um, another group of educators, we couldn't really pass it up. Um, and then knowing that we were gonna see people like you, other educators that we just know online, like Cornelius, like we had always talked about, yeah. talked to each other through like WhatsApp or Twitter or whatever. We had never really met each other. And I didn't know that was the story for a lot of just teachers in general, yeah. um, meeting each other for the first time there. So that was cool. Just like seeing everybody that you're like, quote unquote, friends with in like real life, finally. Yes. Um, so it's definitely worth, worth, worth the travel for sure. And, and it's so tightly, NCTE is so tightly packed that you know before NCTE I have all of these great plans in my head oh I'm gonna try to hook up with this person and we're gonna mm -hmm. get coffee over here mm -hmm. and like we mentioned Cornelius I was literally coming out on my way running like Barry Allen the flash <laughs> with another thing and I see Cornelius crossing the street and I'm, I'm like I'm about to get hit by a car because I'm stopping in the middle of the street turning around and be like yo and he's looking at me like yo and it's just there's a lot of ships passing in the night mm -hmm. at NCT. Mm -hmm. and, and like so, you said everyone's like everyone's running out of gas by the like second day because that first day is like a whirlwind. You're just on and you're either in meetings, in conferences, speaking, or you're moving in and out of meetings or conference or whatever it is. And again, by the time you talk to someone, like it's just like you talk for a little bit and then you're off again. So yeah. I can't even imagine what your schedule is like. NCTE is such a, an amazing big ticket event that I love how they email you and invite you to come present. Like, I was wondering if you'd be interested I'm shaking the screen like, what? You had me at, <laughs> hello. <laughs> yes, I'm interested. <sighs> no, I agree. I agree. It was, it was, it was so much fun. So hopefully, hopefully the next event, if we're in the same company, we'll be, have some time to have to really try and find time to chat for sure. Now. Yeah. 
the, the challenge is I got to keep pumping out dope books and, and get invited back that. to the parties. <laughs> and you're doing that. You're doing that. You're well on your way. Well on your way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, let me, let's get going. Let's get going here. Okay. Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any. <laughs> Putting yourself out there as practitioners, we're growing and learning. Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bird Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like, as a new mom. The relationships that I have cultivated from there. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is amazing. This is so fun. All right, welcome back to another episode of It's Personal. Got my homeboy, my guy. Um, just super excited to chop it up today. Um, can you introduce yourself? You, you, you said you said it. You pulled the words right out of my mouth. I'm, I'm so excited to chop it up with my homeboy. Uh, my name is Tori Maldonado, and I'm a teacher. I'm an author, and I'm a fanboy of Gary. Um, he's exercising. Yo, you've been exercising during this quarantine, and you tweeted that you ran like 20 feet. 40 flights yo yesterday i tried to do that I, I did it for a minute and i was bent over i was wheezing so i have a, a new term i'm coining this term fit inspiration you're my fit inspiration you're my fitness inspiration so, so afterwards what happened was i thought to myself all right you know there's no way i'm going at first i thought is this humanly possible can someone actually run 20 flights like is he talking about like plane flights or something what is he talking about and what i did was I decided to challenge myself in my wheelhouse. I went and I decided to try to um, out-type my work out from the day before. So you might be happy to hear that, that I did. Yeah. I typed more words, <laughs> more flights, but I typed more words. Hmm, the key, key thing is, you know, I, I, I didn't tell anyone how long it took. That could be spread out throughout the whole day, right? So no one really knows how long it took. That could be like, you know, a couple steps here and there, a couple steps in the afternoon. So what uh, is, right, you know? <laughs> That's a, that, that special secret. That's that ancient wisdom. Say, I ran 20 flights and they didn't say how long. You're like, 24 hours, but it's still 20, 20 flights. Safety, you didn't ask the question, right? Man, I wish you would have given me that inside intel and told me that you spaced it out because I, I set the timer and I tried to do it. I, I stopped after a minute. I said, there's no way. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm avoiding coronavirus and I'm, I'm going to get a heart attack instead. Sorry, so what, tell, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about, like, how, how are things going, man? Like, with everything that happened in the world, how, how's your family doing? How are you doing? Oh, everything's been good. You know, um, interestingly, this moment has become a, an amazing common ground for empathy. Mm. Um, what I'm noticing is, yeah, we're all in our separate you know, underground bunkers, wearing our masks. But at the same time, they're all in a common fight right now. And it's really amazing to have conversations with my students. I've been teaching for over 20 years and I teach middle school. So when I do virtual visits with my students, no matter what their background is, they're all in the same lane. They're all in the same situation. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very much um, uh, empathizing situation that I appreciate. How are, kids, how are the kids doing in regards to just dealing with the transition to distance learning? There's a huge range in, in terms of what kids are able to do. Like some kids don't have access to the technologies. Some kids 
kids do have access to the technologies. Some kids um, don't have parental support um, guiding them through. Personal. 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 Some have, you know, superheroic um, and able and resourced parents who are guiding them through the work. So it's a it's a big range. Um, and it just it just makes me appreciate the time that I did have in the class with them when we were all in that room together. Because there's a lot that doesn't get communicated via screen. You know, there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot to body language. So being in the classroom with kids and watching them read each other's body language and and, and verbal off of each other that's something that i missed what have you what have you been doing to besides working out i guess been doing to keep yourself sane and you had to have a you have a daughter as well um yeah. what are you guys doing as a family to keep yourself kind of positive oh wow we've been doing a number of different things and one of the things that we've been doing is we've been discovering um shows uh, one of the shows that we discovered was um, the Carmichael show. Have you ever uh, seen the Carmichael show? I haven't. No, I haven't. I haven't. That, see, that's what my reaction right before <laughs> discovering it. David Allen Greer is on it. Mm. This show is it is just so funny, and it just I can't believe that it's not on the air right now. But mm. so we've been just watching shows and having couch time together. You know, we've um, been bonding over the work that my daughter has to do. We um we have a backyard. It's a shared backyard with other tenants and the building so when no one's back there and we don't have to socially distance six feet away from each other slip into the backyard and you know we try to walk laps in the backyard any anything to just you know return some normalcy into this new normal so let's let's go back i always, I always like going backwards with guests just figuring out what their schooling looked like what family looked like when they were mm -hmm. like younger um, so take me back what is what is young Corey looked like when I, you were up in Brooklyn, right? Oh yeah, I'm 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 um, Brooklyn, Brooklyn born and raised. Yes, you know I'm, I'm I've been teaching for over 20 years in middle school. Um, I'm the author of three books. I'm celebrating my book birthday with you because this yes. week, yes. my third book, What Lane Dropped. You know, uh, I'm a proud dad. Um, so I'm born and raised here in Brooklyn, New York. I was raised in the Red Hook Housing Projects. And there's a, a, a little known basketball player, not too many people know who he is, but his family and my family grew up together. Um, you might've heard of him, Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> yeah, his, his oldest sister was a lot like, he, he was a former NBA Knicks player. He um he grew up in Red Hook until the age of eight and then they moved out of Red Hook. I, you, know, you know, whenever someone moved out of the projects, there was always this little little fantasy inside my head. I was imagining, oh wow, they, they moved on to greener pastures. You know, they're living a the good life. And I found out that he moved to um, part of Baltimore that was just as rough. <laughs> so I was just like, when, it, so when I got to see his brother years later, I was like, dude, you left. And I thought you was living like the Brady Bunch, like the black Brady Bunch or something. And he was like, nah, bro. He said, we had it worse in, in Maryland than we did in, in Brooklyn. So I grew up in um in Brooklyn and stories of my my community and the, the and my community is largely unseen, unheard, 
and marginalized. And there's this funny story, true story. Um, I make it to college. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And the first year that I'm there, Wu-Tang Clan comes to perform, right? So they're on stage and, and, and Wu-Tang, if you've ever seen a Wu-Tang con concert, it's not just like two, three guys. It's like, Everybody. it's like a little city. <laughs> Everybody is on the stage. Everybody's on the stage. And I'm up front, friends. And we're, you know, cash foods, everything around me. And we're yelling and having fun. And this dude on stage looks out at me and points at me. And he goes, Tori, Tori. And I'm looking up at the Wu, the Wu Tang Clan, and they're yelling at me. And when this guy's yelling at me, and then all of a sudden my friend jerks me inside. Like, T, that dude is calling you. Turns out one of my cousins was on stage performing with the Wu Tang Clan. So he's like, after, come see me. And you're like, stay here, stay here. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So afterwards, I get to meet Method Man. We go, we go upstairs and meet Method Man. I get to meet Red Man. And I had my cousin is there. And I'm like, dude, you know, what are you doing here? And he's like, uh, I'm part of the Wu, I'm part of the Wu Tang Clan. I was like, wow. He's some Shabazz the disciple. And um, speaking of the woo, they have this line in um, the Cream song, Cash Rules Everything Around Me, where he says, I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side, staying alive, there's no jive. That really describes um, Red Hook. You know, if you want to imagine what Red Hook looks like or what, what it's like, um, see The Wire. I love The Wire. Yeah. Um, really? You know, uh, in 1988, a Life magazine came in and did a photo spread of Red Hook, mm -hmm. and they almost caught me in the photo spread. They, uh, my boys and my, uh, we were chilling on the stoop, and they um, came up, and people that we never saw before came up, and they had these high-powered cameras, and they asked, uh, "You want to, you want to take some pictures? We'll pay you." So all of a sudden, like. You know, I have my mom on this side, my dad on this side, like, you know, like, you know, you have the angel and you, you know, you have those two, two beings there. So I have on this side, my mom saying, don't let anybody take pictures of me because you don't know who these people are. And then I have my dad on this side yelling, show me the money. So I was trying to figure out what to do. And I ultimately listened to my mom and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna do pictures of me. My boys were like, how much are you gonna pay? And so my boys ended up in the nine page photo spread. Wow. No, this is how I found out that Red Hook was in this nine page photo spread of Life magazine. One day after school, I open up our apartment door and it's remarkably quiet. Now that's odd because usually either my mom's there or one of my three sisters is there. No one's there. And my mom, she always monitored whatever I read. So she said, so I, so I said, Ma, to hear if she's there, silence. So I started yelling out the names of my sisters. Silence. No one's there. The reason why I called out their names is one, you know, to have that house, have an apartment private, that, that was a rarity. But two, on the on the mag on the on the table, on the dinner table was a magazine and it was Mike Tyson with his then wife Robin Gibbon. And at that time, every all my boys next to me, on the left of me, on the on the right of me, they wanted we wanted to be Mike Tyson. You know, we be strong, especially in our in our rough neighborhood. You know, um, you know, everybody's like, yo, you gotta man up, gotta man up, gotta be tough. You know, wear courage, be tough. So um grab the magazine, I flip it through the magazine. Sure enough, there's Iron Mike Tyson. Flip through the magazine, bonus. Sylvester Stallone's in it, Rocky. And he was wow. the man. I was like, what? I flipped through it. Even another bonus. Schwarzenegger's in it, Terminator. And they, and I'm looking at all these people living lavishly in their mansions. And then I get to Red Hook. Oh, and they made us look cracked. Out. They actually, they actually, Life Magazine, you can, you can YouTube it, you can Google it. Personal, 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 personal. They call my housing projects the crack capital of the United States of America. They called us one of the 10 worst neighborhoods in the country. And so, you know, a lot of times when people 
see me at an office visit or they hear that I'm a teacher, they don't know about the, the, um, the other side, like the, the journey to get to where I am right now. And as I say in that behind every strong man is a strong woman, that strong woman was my mom. You know, it was my mom who was able to get me from Red Hook projects to, to where I am now. I joke and I call her Yoda mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. if you saw my mom, you'd be like, she's full of the force, but she's mad short. She's very mm-hmm. short mm-hmm. and she's very genteel. She's she's the um, epitome of that saying, um, talk softly, but carry a big stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was That's my mom. crazy. That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. So what moms obviously has had a huge influence on your entire life sounds like huge huge yeah so what what was some of those things that you kind of learned from her that you're continuing to 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 use in your family today oh well my mom she she would um call me over and she would uh, ask me to recite certain quotes and one of the quotes that she asked me to recite was um good better best never let it rest until your good gets better and your better gets best wow and and I called my 11-year-old daughter into the room right now and got her onto the screen, and I'd say, good, better, best, she would finish the sentence. Wow. So that's wow. something that I passed on to her. And that and that has become um, my work ethic. You know, I'm constantly, if I write, I'm asking myself, okay, this is good. How could it be better? It is better. How could it be the best? And if I'm teaching, I also ask myself, you know, I'm connecting with these kids. Is this a good connection? How could this connection be better? How can the rapport and the responsiveness, how can it be the best? So constantly, like Stevie Wonder, trying to search for that higher ground. Mm-hmm. So that's something I got from my mom that I passed on to my daughter. And it's something that pours and overflows into my teaching and also my writing. Another thing about my mom is, um, you know, a lot of people ask this question in interviews. They ask, who's your favorite writer? Mm-hmm. And they expect me to, you know, quote somebody from the canon. And I always say my favorite mm-hmm. writer is my mom. I, I, I've seen the, I think you've done it. I just saw a video of you on YouTube talking about it. And the inspiration yes. of your mom, yeah. <laughs> right now, if we were to wave a magic wand and see right into her apartment, she's probably writing something. Wow. Yeah, wow. my mom always, she, what she does is she writes thoughts and observations um, about people in her spiral notebooks. Mm-hmm. And then she, she hides them. She had a file cabinet. She would put it in the file cabinet and lock them up. And she would never share writing with the world and part of that is we grew up in this marginalized community where um, our sense of worth was deflated and um, I don't know if she ever thought that her, her writing was worth anything to share with the world. One of the things I do know is my family didn't have the resources and we didn't have the access to um, for her to become a published author mm-hmm. so she decided was she had she had three kids before me and then she had me and she had said you know when you were born i had decided that i wasn't going to bury you like i buried so many of the men in our family i wasn't going to see you locked up like we've seen so many men in the family locked up and you were going to live the dreams of our family and one of the dreams of the family that i'm living is like a football player, she passed the love of writing on to me and I took it into you know, the publishing end zone and I got published. Wow, wow. So how did you manage, how did your family manage to, avoid, I don't want to say avoid, but I'm not sure. Um, being in the projects, there's so many, like I I would consider, like I grew up in an all black community in Nova Scotia. Um, and like long story short, um, the projects probably is only one way in, one way out. 
um, and you can easily be influenced. What was it that allowed you to navigate that kind of bubble? Because I'm assuming um, you would see it every day in regards to yeah. stepping outside. Um, oh yeah. Uh, what was what was within your family um, or within you that allowed you to avoid that? Um, um, and whether you, I guess I don't want to say avoid it because I don't know because um, there may have been times where you have involved yourself in it. But what did you do um, to navigate that? That, that's a great question. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in today and listening to Tori's message. This is a one of a three-part series with Tori. Please tune in tomorrow for part two. Peace. One of the things that I had silently said to myself when I was in middle school is that if I ever...